welcome everybody. <laughs> Typically, I am not on these shows. But for those of you that don't know, Ed and I are living together. We're in Fairfax. We're excited about it. And hearts pumping, blood's pumping, hair standing up. We just watched a historic event in Virginia Tech history. And we did pour a glass of bourbon tube for it. And cheers to you, Georgia Amore, first ever. What's rude not to drink? First ever triple double in program history for Georgia Amore against the Nebraska Cornhuskers. Unbelievable. Absolutely. I mean, what thoughts? Thoughts? Last five minutes, we were waiting for one more. Didn't know if we'd get it. Yeah, that was pretty funny. Usually in those situations, you never know if like the player knows or who mm-hmm. on the bench knows what's going on. But mm-hmm. uh, there was a pretty funny clip on the on the <laughs> Sons of Saturday Twitter page now. But um, she clearly knew mm-hmm. where she you can, the camera catches her just going. I'm trying. I'm trying. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying to get that last rebound. But uh, she came out firing on both ends all night long. She was phenomenal. Um, the step back three was working. The assists were obviously working. I, I believe she might have had five rebounds in the first quarter alone. So mm-hmm. a phenomenal night from Georgia. I'm so glad she was able to get that final rebound and knock that thing out because well-deserved. She played a phenomenal game. Hokies win 85-54 to 54 over Nebraska in the ACC Big Ten uh, Challenge. Georgia Amore finishes with 10 rebounds, 11 assists, and 24 points. Unreal. Eight for 15 from the field. She had some highlight reel awesome plays. She had the... Uh, she had a, an amazing step back in the fourth quarter. She had the uh, "Hey, I'm going to break your ankles" in the third yeah. quarter, in the fourth in the quarter. That no, was the first quarter, or whenever it was. She started um, the game out, I believe, with an assist, a step back mid range jump shot, a crossover layup, and then another assist. And it was like, okay, it's going to be one of those nights. And also, this is all without saying this team is awesome. Like that, that happens. Triple double, fantastic. Liz Kitley also went and got her 24 points and 12 rebounds. She logs her third uh, double-double in a row. And then T-Soul, 18 points, five rebounds, a steal. This team is awesome. They're 7-0. They may have the biggest game in – is it the biggest game in program history to go play Tennessee coming I don't know. up here? They played, some, they played some big games last year against ranked opponents too, but uh, I don't really know where Tennessee lies in terms of the rankings right now, but – They've struggled a little bit. I know. I think they're out. They're either if they're not in the top twenty-five, they're right outside of it because they're having a little bit of a down year. But I think this game, regardless of what they're ranked, is the opportunity for a Virginia Tech team who has never been thought of as a women's basketball school to go into Knoxville with an opportunity. Yeah, I feel like you could equate it to like if the if Kansas was having a down year and the men went and played at Kansas. Right. Still a really big game, historic program, historic venue. Tennessee is all that on the women's side of hoops. So huge game for the Hokies coming up. But, I mean, the Hokies just beat a Nebraska team that I believe they said was ranked preseason mm-hmm. by over 30, and Ashley Owusu barely played. So Ashley Owusu jammed you, her finger or something. Yeah, in the it looked like she jammed yeah. her finger or, you know, hyperextended it or something. So hopefully she's good to go for this weekend. But that just shows you the depth and the talent that this team has, that they're able to lose someone of her caliber and still go out and handle Nebraska by 30. <laughs> Before we switch over uh, to the men's team, I do want to give uh, just another shout-out. It was talked about ad nauseum, uh, as it should be. Um, but Kelly Gramlich did join the show uh, right before this game on the Queens of Castle. If you haven't heard it, Queens of Castle, Georgia uh, Georgia Amore and Liz Kitley running a podcast. They've done four episodes. Uh, they're doing it every week. 
It's awesome. They're fantastic. Ton of fun to listen to. Uh, so do check that out. And then also, when you're if you're listening to this now, the Justin Mutz podcast has also hit the feed. Justin Mutz just interviewed Darius Maddox. Uh, or it's actually, I learned this. It's Darius Mad Ox. Yeah, I was kind of uh, roasting announcers who would say it that way. But yeah, turns out like, I was wrong. So that's we were wrong. So it is Darius Mad Ox. Um, but yeah, shout out to the Justin Mutz show. Shout out to the Queens of Castle. Um, but let's go. I, I'm taking up all the airspace. I'm a guest on your podcast, yeah, so you go ahead and uh, you go ahead and uh, and drive this ship. Please. I mean, the the entire plan is thrown out the window when we just watched that women's <laughs> game yeah. and what Georgia just did. But we're here to kind of break down the men and preview the UNC game. Uh, the men have played two games since me and Mike recorded last, so kind of a uh, a nail biter against Charleston Southern. We were really hoping to be able to just skim right over that one, but mm. the Hokies struggled in that game and were able to come out with a five point win against a Charleston Southern team that is really just not all that talented. So that was a really frustrating and nerve nervous game to watch, man, because that's one that you really just can't lose. Um, but the Hokies were able to get it done and get out of there with a win um, without, you know, honestly derailing the season. That one would have been really, really brutal to lose. So thank God they won. But um, shooting 28% from three in that game, it's continued to be a problem for this team when they're not shooting the ball as well as we're accustomed to seeing them shoot the ball. Um, Charleston Southern – outscored our bench. I think they doubled our bench up. So that's another problem that we've seen in some of these closer games that Virginia Tech's been fortunate enough to win so far this year. But uh, inconsistent shooting and lack of bench production have been problems and keeping it's been able to keep teams who um, keep them. We, we should be blowing these teams out, quite frankly, and they're able to stay in it because they have a deeper bench than we do, or at least a more productive bench. I think we have a lot of really good players on our bench, but we just haven't been able to lock in that production yet. And I think we'll figure it out here shortly. Um, but that's a large reason why teams like Charleston and now Charleston Southern were able to hang around with us. Yeah, I think I also, um, for all of the freaking out that everybody has done, and we've done, honestly, Coach Young got into that press conference after yeah. the game, and he basically said, look, like, came in, obviously didn't have our best stuff, had to find a way to win the game, yeah. and we won the game. You get, um, like, two or three of those a year where you, like, you just don't have your fastball, mm-hmm. and you have to find a way to win if you want to make it to March, and the Hokies were – fortunate enough to be able to do that. Um, it was very odd, though, looking at the box score, things like, you know, across the board, we were played them pretty even, uh, which is somewhat concerning. But again, you're going to have games like that where you don't have your best stuff and you've got to find a, a way to win. And they were able to do that and move on to Minnesota in what was unfortunately the last game of the ACC Big Ten Challenge. Let me say one thing uh, on the Charleston Southern game, too. That was a game where I know he's struggled this year, but Hunter Couture came up big in the last 90 seconds. And we've actually we've seen that kind of often from Hunter, where he may not have his best stuff, but when the going gets tough for Virginia Tech, Hunter Couture is one of those people who steps up every single time. So thank goodness we've got vets like him and Mutz around to be that calming presence and will us to victory in games where everybody else might not have their best stuff. And then moving on to the Minnesota game, uh, Minnesota, like you said, uh, final year, we will be switching to playing the SEC now in the SEC and ACC title or SEC, ACC title, SEC, ACC challenge. Um, But this is the last year of the Big Ten challenge. Virginia Tech draws Minnesota. Who doesn't want to play Minnesota? So we played Minnesota 67 to 57. Virginia Tech comes out with a W. What did you say? Um, Again, another one where, you know, the Hokies were favored by like 12 in that game. They win by 10. So kind of right in that ballpark of where you'd expect it to be. Minnesota's while a power five team with power five athletes, they're not all that talented. Um, so Virginia tech was able to get, take care of business in castle, win a game that they should win. 
by a comfortable enough margin. Uh, but again, concerns about the bench scoring got outscored 25 to 15 off the bench in that one. Um, shot a little bit better from three, which was huge and will continue to be huge moving forward. Um, but the Hokies shot better than Minnesota from the field and from three, as you'd expect from this team with all the, the weapons that it has offensively. Played better defense against a good Minnesota or a more athletic Minnesota team than they played. De- the defense against Minnesota was better than Charleston Southern, let's say that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you know, back to the uh, ACC SEC challenge. Who do you think ESPN is going to match us up with in the well, year one of that so, thing? So we talked about this. I, I was saying it'd be pretty damn cool if Virginia Tech played Texas A&M, but you don't think that that's a possibility. I have seen this as a person who was born and raised a Maryland fan. Maryland and Duke never played each other in that challenge, despite fans on probably both sides of the aisle really wanting that to happen. ESPN really wanted Even it to happen. ESPN would really want that game to happen, and it never happened. Um, I believe that there is some uh, behind-the-scenes work and lobbying coming from certain coaches who want and don't want certain matchups in these uh, tournaments where the network kind of just gets to pick whoever they want. So I think it'll really come down to uh, – I don't think Mike Young would back away from that challenge, but I think I think uh, Buzz Williams might not want to come back to Blacksburg. So to me, a team that I would really enjoy to play and a team that we played in the in March Madness a couple of years ago who's not typically thought of as a basketball school, who is a very good basketball program, is Alabama. I would love to play Alabama in the SEC, SEC ACC uh, challenge. It's going to be tough for me to pronounce this. Um, but are there any other schools that you would like to uh, to see in that? I mean, man, that conference is tough. Like, and they've they've underrated worked. conference. It, I, yeah, I don't even know if it's underrated anymore. Like, they they might be the best conference in basketball and football. And I think they've found a good, they've done a really good job of taking all that football money and spreading it over to basketball. I mean, you think about the coaches that are in that conference. Mm-hmm. You got Rick Barnes, Buzz Williams, Bruce Pearl. Um, John Calipari, can't forget him. You know, the list goes on and on. And the, the SEC and their basketball are phenomenal. Uh, Musselman in Arkansas, Nate Oates at Alabama. You mentioned Alabama. I would love to play them. Um, Who's the dude at Vanderbilt? Jerry Stackhouse. Jerry Stackhouse. He just got into like a scrimmage match during the game yesterday. Um, probably going probably to be suspended. Tennessee would be really fun to play just because of the geography of that matchup. Um, Alabama, like you said, would be fun. Bruce Pearl, it'd always be fun to play someone like him. So, there's going to be a lot of intriguing matchups in the coming years uh, in that ACC SEC challenge, but it is kind of sad to see the Big Ten uh, ACC challenge go by the wayside. The one thing uh, to close the book on Minnesota, a uh, little disappointed at how the game ended. Obviously, I know we were playing a bunch of young folks, um, but the margin was closer than it was uh, for most of the basketball game. Um, but again, it's a game Virginia Tech should have won. It is a game that they did indeed win. Um, you were in Key West. I was. That was, um, that was fun. So. So, yeah, we move on uh, to North Carolina. Before we do that, just a couple of things that we're going uh, we're to we're, – we're integrating some segments here. Um, first of all, to date, what are a couple of things that stand out to you to date? To Sean, Sean Padula and Justin Mutz have kind of carried this team. They've been the most consistent players uh, up until now. I guess you can call this conference play, right? We're playing North Carolina next. So we've reached conference play, at least for the time being, and Padula averaging 17-4. and four. Mutz with his 17-9, and nine, also adding four assists. 17 and 9? Or 12 and 9, oh, sorry. 12 and 9. 12 and 9. This is going to be called, I need, uh, called first on draft day. But I will, yeah, really. <laughs> but I do need Justin Mutz to get that one more rebound every night. I check the box score every night. He's at 9. Mm. And it would be really cool to see him start to get into that consistent double double range. I know it's one rebound and who really cares, but mm. just for me, they would make me feel really good. So I got a couple numbers. Uh, 
I'm a big numbers guy. I'm a big numbers guy. Not good at math, but I can read stuff on a screen. Uh, a couple concerning numbers that we have here. So Virginia Tech is 335th out of 352 teams with 13.3 free throws per game, which is low, but essentially is the same rate as last season. And you were explaining this to me. For those of you that don't know, Billy Ray, not a basketball expert. That's why living with my good friend Ed is going to be helpful. So you say that Coach Young's system typically produces a lower uh, rate of free throws. Yeah, just think about it when you're watching these games. I mean, Mike Young does such a good job of generating open looks that you're not going to find yourself in a position where you're going to have to put your head down and go to the basket and try to draw a foul. It's going to happen very sporadically just because of how good the offensive system really is at generating those open looks. So – uh, essentially, if you think about Virginia Tech, you know, Justin Mutz isn't going to draw a lot of fouls. He's playing one-on-one down on the block. He'll get some from time to time if he gets somebody up in the air. But more often than not, he's in a one-on-one situation where he probably won't draw a foul and he'll just beat his guy and get a clean look. Same with Grant Basile. Um, Hunter Couture's looks are mostly clean threes. I mean, you're rarely going to foul a three-point shooter of his caliber. The guy who I think can draw more fouls and has drawn fouls to date is Sean Padula. He does a really good job of using his body and his strength to get guys off balance, get off somebody's hip and get to the rim where he might get fouled. And I'd love to see Darius Maddox go to the basket more. His first step's so quick that he can get by anybody, but more often than not, he just pulls up for a mid-range jump shot and makes him at a high rate. So I can't really fault him for it. But if this team, if getting to the free throw line is something the staff is concerned about and wants to have better production from, I would lean on Padula and Maddox to continue to get to the rim. Um, just because of how versatile they are off the dribble. Yeah, and then moving right along here, um, the other stat that I find somewhat alarming here is that Sean Padula is logging 34 minutes a game. This was something that I dismissed yeah. um, when we were talking about it in the space because I thought it would kind of work its way out, but then I went back and I actually ran the numbers. So, um, again, Sean Padula averaging 34 minutes a game. We're not even in ACC play yet. Je- uh, Justin Robinson over the course of his career starting logged 30 minutes a game yeah. and Sean Padula averaged 12 minutes a game as a, as a backup last year. Something that we're going to have to find out if it's sustainable, if it's what we continue to do, if we see the ball move through other folks as the season goes along. So um, yeah, just something that I noticed that I think definitely needs to be figured out. Ro- does Rodney Rice solve a little bit of that problem? Does Hunter Couture solved a little bit of that problem. MJ Collins, um, you know, uh, it's here. ACC play is here, and we're going to have to figure out some of that stuff. Yeah, we we posted the tweet asking for questions for this, and we had two, and one of them was from the great Kay Finn, and he asked about Rodney Rice and his timeline. So we'll touch on both really quick. So Rodney Rice, Mike Young spoke this week at Tech Talk Live. It sounds like we're a couple weeks away from uh, Rodney actually getting back. It seemed like everything's going well medically, but – um, the recommendations from the doctors were that we take a little bit more time there. So that's the injury piece of Rodney Rice. Uh, does he solve that minutes distribution for Adula? I think he will. Um, it might take him a little while to get up to a point where Mike Young's comfortable having Rodney as the sole ball, ball handler running the offense. But I do think that Padula's minutes will creep back down into a more manageable range, somewhere in that 28 to 30 uh, that we talked about with Justin back in his time. So yeah, Padula at 34 minutes a game through, you know, it's December 1st and he's playing 34 minutes a game to date after playing some teams that you would expect him to not have to play that much. It's definitely very concerning. Uh, and like you said, Billy going from 12 to 34 uh, is, is a huge jump and he hasn't really shown any signs of slowing down, but it's still early. 
And we want to nip that in the bud as soon as we can. So hopefully Rodney can get back and provide that um, that cushion off the bench to give Sean some time on off of his feet. So, and you have one more from a quote, but this is a bad statistic that might be good news because it's yes. something that I don't think will continue. Yeah, that's a good point. So the Mike Young quote of the week, quote of the week is a new segment we're going to do here. And this week it's more of a, you know, basketball quote. And a lot of times, you know, we, what we all know, Mike Young, we'll get some really good ones out of him as the year goes on. But in his presser after Minnesota, he said, we only have two people shooting over 40%. We usually have four, five, six. So Basili and Couture are both over 40 at 43 and 41% from three, respectively. Sean Padula is right there at 36%. He's shooting the ball perfectly fine. Um, I think 36% is a very reasonable number for a guy like him to be shooting. But the one that concerns me, and like you said, it's concerning for the time being, but I do think in the long run it's, it is good news. Is that Virginia Tech is what seven and one, eight and one? What are we? Seven and one. And Darius Maddox is only shooting twenty six percent from three. This is a guy who shot fifty percent last year. So if Darius Maddox is able to figure it out from from distance to combine with his play inside the arc, which has been very good, uh, that that's going to be a huge shot in the arm this team needs offensively to lift that three point percentage uh, up in some of these games where things have been a little bit closer than we would like them to be. Positive number that is positive on its face. And positive in general. Uh, no hidden message here. Uh, team is shooting nearly 50% from the field. They're shooting 49.5%. Um, I think it's kind of been a narrative that's not necessarily true. As a lot of people are saying that the team in, as a whole is not shooting up to par. The team is shooting pretty well. Um, it's just when the team fails to shoot well um, is not an ideal yeah, time. On average, the team is shooting perfectly fine. It's just we're so accustomed to seeing guys like Darius Maddox knock down open looks that mm-hmm. it, it seems worse than it really is. Uh, I remember in the Charleston tournament, I saw people on Twitter saying that Justin Mutz wasn't playing well. Well, he's almost averaging a double double. So mm-hmm. he's playing just fine. Um, go, just, ahead, talk, go ahead. Ed. <laughs> Poke your chest out a little bit. Ed. We, uh, we, we just have high expectations for these guys as we should, right? Yes. We've seen them do incredible things. So, uh, I expect to see more of those incredible things coming up as we head into ACC play against the Tar Heels. So, all in all, one, I love that we have expectations for basketball. Yes. I love it. I love it. And we should have expectations for basketball. I want to say, the way some people are talking about this program is a little ridiculous. The program is 7-1. and one. Yeah. We're going into this Carolina game. We're going to learn a ton about this team against Carolina. Carolina is... I'm not going to say they're not who we thought they were because it's it's early on still. They're figuring stuff out just like every other team in the country is. But that's a, a good ACC team that we're going to play against. Where do you kind of sit in what this team is figuring out, what they could potentially be? Um, because when I watch them, I'm thinking we brought a lot of guys back, but a lot of the roles are a little bit different than they were last year. And that's kind of where this team is right now. Yeah, I don't know what's wrong with them. I, I mean, you look at their – you know, just their counting numbers and stuff like that. You would think that they're they're doing just fine and exactly what you would have thought through this point of the season. But they're zero and three against Power Five teams. Mm-hmm. All their wins have come from teams that are not you know not going to get those Power Five level athletes. Uh, and they've even struggled in some of those games. They were losing to the College of Charleston at halftime. Mm-hmm. Um, so North Carolina hasn't been what we all thought they would be as that preseason number one, that consensus number one team. Um, I think that's a tough thing for a second-year head coach in Hubert Davis to manage 
Now, those expectations were super lofty. You got Caleb Love and RJ Davis and Armando Baycott, Leaky Black. You bring you bring in Pete Nance from Northwestern. You know, expectations are through the roof. So I think Hubert Davis is learning how to um, keep his guys level headed. And I think, you know, right now they're reeling a little bit. They've lost three in a row coming into Blacksburg. Um, the Hokies kind of have UNC somewhat on their heels probably coming into this game. But when you look at their counting numbers, it, I mean, it really doesn't make a lot of sense. Caleb Love's averaging 19 a game. Baycott's averaging 16 and 11, right where you'd think he would be. So it, it is very interesting to see what's happened to them. They've struggled. They're not playing at their full capability or full capacity. Um, but North Carolina, I mean, this was what they did last year. They they struggled for a good part of the year, and then they really turned it on late and went on that run. Um, so it's it's somewhat surprising, but not overly surprising. Uh, but it, it, the team is largely the same as last year, with the exception of Pete Nance in for Brady Manick, and they do some similar things, some different things. Um, but I'm really interested to see how North Carolina bounces back from what was a really, really tough week for them. So – Game plan. How does Virginia Tech find a way to win this game? Uh, the first, first and foremost, I think Virginia Tech has to control the things they can control, which are the guys like Maddox and Couture doing what we are accustomed to seeing them doing, which is knock down open jump shots and put a lot of stress on a defense, making the defense space things out with their elite jump shooting abilities. Uh, and I think they will. I think those guys will rise to the challenge in a huge game at home. That place is going to be rocking. So I, I think Maddox and Couture kind of return to form. I'd love to see Hunter Couture be more aggressive offensively, not just a spot-up three-point shooter, but put the ball on the ground and go to work like we've seen him do You know, last year in the ACC championship game. Put the ball on the deck and get to the rim or hit a step back. I'd love more aggression from him offensively. And Darius Maddox, just play within himself and knock down open shots, and you know he'll get you to where you need to go. Um, in terms of how do we – Slow them down. It's tough, man. Caleb Love's going to get his. Armando Baycott's going to get his. Those guys are who they are um, because you can't stop them. You can only hope to kind of contain them. And I think Virginia Tech in the past has done a really good job of containing those two. Now it's really difficult because then you got RJ Davis and Pete Nance, and you know those guys can beat you too. But I think if you just try to prevent an outburst from Love and Baycott you'll find a way to find yourself in the game at the end with a chance to win it. And then bench help. I, I, we need more help off the bench offensively. Uh, Lynn Kidd, Melagio Poteet, MJ Collins, those are kind of the guys right now that I feel like are really in the rotation and will get minutes in games like this. So there needs to be a little bit of offensive help from MJ Collins and from Lynn Kidd and Melagio Poteet. Um, now, Poteet and Kidd are going to be relied on heavily defensively in this game to contain Armando Baycott. But we do need some more help off the bench in terms of scoring because that has been something that's plugged us so far. Yeah, as you mentioned, MJ Collins and uh, Melijah Poteet both got a lot of time in these last two basketball games we just talked about. Uh, Poteet logged 17 minutes, which was a career high against Delaware State. He was 5 for 7 from the free throw line, getting to the free throw line, 4 boards. And then MJ Collins has played 22 minutes or more in the last two games versus Lehigh and Delaware State. Um, I will be at the game, uh, at the North Carolina game. Really, really jazzed about it. Um, I would like to see. Will you leave us with a uh, with a prediction for this game? Oh wow! Oh man! Um, ESPN's FPI loves tech. Yeah, ESPN's which I FPI hate, does love tech. Love that's tech. not a great metric. Um, North Carolina's reeling a little bit. Virginia Tech hasn't really played their best ball, but have been able to limp their way through some games and get the wins that they needed. Um, based on the environment, you know, afternoon game on a Sunday and at the castle. 
man. I'll go Virginia Tech, 75, North Carolina, 68. That's where I'll, I'll, I'll land on that one. So Hokie win. Uh, I think the offense figures thing out. I think it was really helpful that we had a few days off here. Mike Young talked about that in the post game after Minnesota that they desperately needed some practice days. I know he gave the guys a day off and then they were back in the gym and he said they were going to focus on things um, that they can control. Like I talked about. So practicing their stuff before they really worry about the scout for North Carolina. And I think that that will pay off on Sunday against the Tar Heels uh, and what should be a really, really fun one. That's it. That's a podcast. Uh, If you're going to the North Carolina game, let us know. Uh, Pat and myself will be there. And also if you're looking for a Christmas gift, Head to rowback.com, get yourself the – they renamed it. It was called the Lunch Bale, and they now named it the Berg. I Not ordered sure. it. I bought it this afternoon. He bought it this afternoon. Not sure if Coach Foster picked up the phone and said, hey, might need to rename that. Lunch Bale's sure. my thing. Um, but go ahead, check out rowback.com, R-H-O-B-A-C-K.com. The Berg Polo, maroon and orange. It looks great. It looks fantastic. Uh, and use code SUNSVT for 20% off of your first purchase. So if you want to get a shirt and pants and a polo for your friend, UVA has one. It's called The Lover, which is very on brand for them. Um, go ahead and get that. Um, but anyway, that is a Hokey Hoops pod, and we will talk to you again soon. Shout out Georgia Amor. Shout out Georgia Amor. Shout out the ladies. Keep it rolling. And the men got a chance for a big one here on Sunday. Time to wander, tripping in the sand. We smoke out windows, drink till we can't stand. But I saw you dance like you want to in my head. And all that she said is, Oh, I know just what you're thinking. Please don't go to sleep and trash your friend's place. Wake up the next day. Take a hit, it started